We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ's likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16 today, so just four or five verses this morning, Uh, and I think you'll see that those verses are packed with truth, uh, beautiful truth that is freeing for us. Uh, So as you turn there, I want to ask you some questions this morning. Uh, Have you ever felt just worthless? Have you ever felt alone and rejected? Have you ever felt like... Like, like there's something wrong with you that, that, that no one could ever want you or, or want to be around you or want to know you as you actually are. You see, what, what I'm getting at here is this idea of shame. And, and shame is something that we have all experienced throughout life. Maybe we're not cognizantly aware of it at this moment. Maybe we are. But shame is something that we as human beings have been experiencing since the garden. Since Genesis chapter 3, the first time in which we rebelled against God as humanity, the first time in which we said, no, God, my way is better, and we reached out and we took of the fruit, and then everything in our world was broken. Nothing was as it should have been anymore. Instead, we had this experience where we felt like we had to hide parts of ourselves, or we had to hide from God and hide from one another. So have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt sin's effects? Have you ever felt this kind of brokenness? You know, maybe you think back on your childhood and, and you think about experiencing shame in, in maybe some lighter ways, but still significant. Maybe you remember uh, th- that first crush that you had. And then, and then maybe a, a kind of stinging rejection when, when somebody said, no, you've got cooties, you know? And, 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 and so it was the first time you experienced where, where, where something, somebody said there was something about you that was undesirable. You were unwanted for some reason. Maybe you, you were the kid that, that nobody wanted on their team at recess or, or, or in gym class. Maybe you were always picked last, and you just weren't sure what it was about you that people didn't like. Maybe you always went to the school dance alone, or, or, or maybe just never with a, with a real date, you know what I mean? Like you always went with a friend, or, or maybe you stayed home entirely because, you know, school dances were for the popular kids. They weren't for the dorks or nerds like you. Maybe you've wondered if you'll ever find the right person to marry, to spend your life with, if anyone will ever want to do that with you. Maybe you've even settled for the attention of someone who you shouldn't have spent life with. Maybe you've settled for someone who told you these things about yourself. You said, you are worthless. 
You're not worthy of anything. But at least they gave you attention. And so you settled. And you began to believe these things about yourself even more. Maybe your family and friends are, are so sick of the mistakes that you've been making in life that, that you can't remember the last time that you had a loving, kind conversation. That a loved one spoke kind words to you because they're so fed up with the things that you've been doing. Maybe it's not the things that you've done, but it's the things that have been done to you in life. Maybe you've experienced the horrors of abuse that, that we can't even go into detail about in a setting like this because it's so graphic and it's so horrible. And every day you've lived with this, this feeling of, of shame that really belongs to the one who perpetrated the abuse, but you carry it every day. Maybe you've experienced something that, that people just don't understand. And so you don't feel like you can share it with people. You see, we experience this feeling of shame all the time in life. We experience what it's like to be untouchable, to be unclean. And this morning, why I'm so excited for us to look at this passage in Luke chapter 5 is because what we're going to see this morning is what Jesus does with the untouchables. What Jesus does for the unclean like you and me. That we're going to see that Jesus sees us. That Jesus touches us. That Jesus speaks to us. And that Jesus takes the unclean and makes them clean. This is what we're going to see in Luke chapter 5 this morning. If you're not there yet, turn there with me and we'll read our passage. And I'm going to pray for us one more time that God would open our eyes. Here's what Luke writes for us about Jesus. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds were gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Let's do that now. King Jesus, we come to you this morning asking that you would give us your spirit to help us to understand this morning. Help us to see things about ourselves in light of your word. Help us to see who you are and why that gives us great and life-changing hope this morning. Jesus, most of all, I pray that for those of us who know we are unclean, who feel the weight of shame on a daily basis. God, I pray, would you make us clean? And would you help us to rest in the holiness and the righteousness that you transfer to us because of what you've done for us in standing in our place? 
God, open our eyes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, there are beautiful things for us to behold this morning in God's word. There are beautiful things that we have to see here about the kind of transformation that Jesus brings to people like you and me. You see, look with me at verse 12, and, and we'll jump into to, to some of this together, and, and just, I'm going to explain a few things as we go so that you can understand the weight of what's happening here. It says in verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. You see, leprosy, if, if you're not familiar with it, most of us think, if we are familiar, we think of the modern day Hansen's disease. Which is, which is a terrible, terrible disease where, where, where you experience such uh, devastating things with, with your skin and, and with your body that, that things just start to kind of fall off. And, and you experience deformities that are really, really obvious. Well, in the ancient world, leprosy was a word that was used to describe not just something like that, but a, but a variety of different skin conditions. And the significance of, of leprosy was that it, it, was, it was something that was dirty. It, it was something that was unclean. And, and the reason that it was considered dirty or unclean is because it represented death. If you were a leper, you, your, the outside of you was literally dying and fading away. And so you, you would have to go throughout the community and you would have to, to yell and shout as you walked with, with, with your mouth covered. You would have to shout, unclean, unclean, so that people would know not to come near you. Talk about being alone and rejected. Talk about feeling the weight of shame. That, that no one wants anything to do with you. And, and in fact, you have to do things to keep people away from you. Because you're like the walking dead. When they see you, they see death. When they see you, they see the effects of what sin has brought into a broken world. You see, in, in Scripture, we read early on in the book of Genesis and, and elsewhere, we read about how, how God said that sin would bring about death. It would bring about this, this decay of life of that which was meant to flourish underneath God and in submission to his will and, and in relationship and connection with him. You see, humanity was made to live in God's presence. And, and, and when the first man and the first woman sinned against God, what happened? They had to go outside the garden. They had to go outside the camp. They had to go outside and away from God because God was holy, which means he was holy other. He was separate. He was devoted to that which was good and right and true and pure. And, and what sin introduced was, was that which was impure. You see, in, in the ancient world, at, at the center of the Israelite camp in the Old Testament was where God dwelt in the midst of his people. They're going to put a diagram on the screen here in just a minute, if they haven't already. And what you'll see is that at the center of the Israelite camp was where God dwelled and where the holiest things were, the things that were most separate from sin and its effects and most devoted to that which was good, right, and true and pure. See, to be holy was to be devoted to that which was good. 
And then outside of God's immediate presence was the camp as a whole. And the camp, you could dwell in the camp if you were considered clean. As long as you weren't impacted by sin, as long as, as, long as you were devoted to God and, and, and sin hadn't, hadn't tainted you or contaminated you, you could dwell inside the camp in the area that was considered clean. And then outside the camp was where the unclean were sent, was where those who were impacted and affected by sin, and and you saw the effects of it, you saw death being brought about. They had to go outside the camp, because at the center of the camp was God, who is the source of life itself. And sin and the death that it brings about could not be in God's presence. And so we read in Numbers chapter 5, we read this about the Israelite camp. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so, and they put them outside the camp. As the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. You see, we read that and we, and we think, wait, so, so, so if I go bury my, my father, if my dad has just died and I touch his body, then i got to go outside the camp? If I'm experiencing a, a disease to no fault of my own, in which my skin is decaying, then I have to go outside the camp? You see, we read things like this and we think, that's not fair. That can't be right. You see, there's, there, there's three reasons that I want, I want to give to, to help us think through why these kinds of commands were in Scripture. And I get these three reasons from from a preacher and a man named Legan Duncan. And and here's the three reasons that he gives for for these kinds of laws in the Old Testament. One was that they were were immensely practical. So there was just this practical nature in which they, they didn't have modern medicine like you and I do. They didn't have those modern graces of God that have been given to us that allow us to treat things like this. And so they very much had to be concerned with things like quarantine. There was a practical purpose for laws like this. You see, because in a camp of of a couple million people, diseases like leprosy could infect and impact and, and take the lives of thousands. And it could be an epidemic like they'd never experienced. And so there was a practical nature to this where where, where if you were experiencing a disease or you had touched a dead body that was, that was unclean and, and filled with disease, you had to go outside the camp for a time until you could show and demonstrate that you were no longer unclean, that you were no, no longer impacted by sin and its effects on the world. There was nothing associated with you that was associated with death. You had to demonstrate this before you could come back into the camp. And if you couldn't demonstrate it, then you had to dwell outside the camp, away from God's presence, away from God's people. 
So there's a practical purpose to this, but there's also a, a theological purpose. And so, you know, theology is just this, this big word that means the study of God, of who God is. And so the, these commands, these laws in the Old Testament are telling us something about the nature of who God is. They're showing us that God is holy, that God is pure, that nothing that resembles sin or death can dwell in his presence. It has to go far from him. Because he is wholly different than that. Next, they, they show us something Christological, which means they show us something about Christ, something about Jesus. You see, these, these laws, these commands, point us to our need for Christ. Luke, in, in his gospel, towards the end, what we'll see a, a long while from now in Luke chapter 24 is is there's this moment where Jesus is walking with a couple of men, and he's showing them how all the scriptures pointed to him. He's walking them through the Bible, and he's explaining it to them, and he's showing them how it all points to him. I mean, goodness, wouldn't that be the best Sunday school class ever? If Jesus was your teacher, and he was just showing you and unfolding how, how this book all connected, and how it, made, how it made sense, and how it all pointed to him and our need for him. Well, Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus did this with two men. And, and he started with the books of Moses, which were Genesis through Deuteronomy, and they included the, the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And I don't know about you, but the last time that I really did an in, in-depth study of Leviticus, well, never. I mean, I don't know anybody who, like, every morning they wake up and they're, I mean, they're reading Leviticus for their devotional time. Like, that is, that is it. That's where they go for their life first. You know? You see, but Leviticus and, and Numbers, they, they lay out these kinds of laws for us that, that teach us something about who God is, and then they teach us something about us, and they point us to our need for Jesus. You see, because here's the reality, friends. There is not a one of us who isn't impacted by sin and its effects. There's not one of us who has not sinned. There's not one of us who has not been sinned against. There's not one of us who has not experienced the effects of sin on a broken world where where our bodies decay over time. There's not one of us who hasn't seen disease take the life of someone far too soon. You see, we've all experienced sin, we've all committed sin, we've all experienced the brokenness that sin brings into God's good world. And so in a sense, there's not one of us who isn't unclean. You see, the leper, it might be obvious as you see his skin decaying, as you see the effects of sin on display in a very obvious way, you can see it. But with most of us, you don't see it, but it's there. The, the remaining sin in us that we wrestle with on a daily basis, the sins that have been committed against us throughout our life, the ways in which we've experienced the brokenness of our world and and the death that is constant. You see, all of us are unclean and undeserving of being inside the camp. 
There's not one of us who can stand before God in his presence and say, I deserve to be here. And I'm clean. It's not one of us who's like that. So whether we feel the intense and dark weight of shame in our life right now, we are all in great and desperate need. You see, this man, he has a desperate need. You see, this man, he falls on his face and he begs Jesus. Do you know what that means? Have you ever gotten down on your knees like this? You ever just got, gotten on your knees before God? You see, there's a kind of desperation that getting on your knees before someone conveys. But you see, this man, he's not just on his knees. He falls on his face before Jesus. Do you know the kind of desperation, the kind of despair you would have to be in to not just get on your knees in front of this man in public, but that you would fall on your face before him. You couldn't even look at him. You just looked at the ground and you said, you said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And, and, and you're just kind of, you're afraid to look up. Because you know what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, to, to walk about and shout, unclean, unclean, so that people stay away from you, so that they're not infected. They're not contaminated. Instead, you go to the teacher, you go to the rabbi, you go to this man that is, is clearly holy because he's got this large following and he's been doing miracles and raising the dead. And, and, and so you think, maybe there's actually hope for me. And so you lay on your face before him and in total despair, you say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You see, and don't miss the significance of the man's words. He calls Jesus Lord. Because here's the thing about leprosy in, in the scriptures, is that what you find is that it was, it was commonly held belief that there was only one person who could heal the leper, and it was God himself. You see, prophets might intercede on behalf of, of a leper and, and then see God do a, a miraculous work of healing and restoration, but it was only God himself that could heal the leper. The way this was seen, is it was, it was equivalent to raising the dead. It was that significant that to heal a leper was like raising someone from the grave. And it was something that only God himself could do. And so when this man comes before Jesus, he recognizes something about Jesus that is different than every other man he's ever met. He realizes he's not a mere man. He is God come in the flesh, and he is able to bring the healing and the cleansing that he needs. And so he falls on his face before Jesus in total desperation, and he cries out to him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And did you notice he didn't ask for healing. Do you see that? He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This man is not just concerned with getting rid of a disease that has plagued his life. No, his primary concern is he wants to be able to dwell in God's presence once again. And his secondary concern is, is he wants to be amongst God's people once again. He wants to be able to rejoin society, rejoin the community of faith. So he doesn't come to Jesus asking, Jesus, can, can you make me whole? Can you restore my skin? 
He doesn't come to Jesus saying, Jesus, can you heal me from this disease that might take my life? He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You can cleanse me from the effects of sin in this fallen world, and and you can make it possible for me to dwell with you and with your people. This is what this man is concerned about. He wants to be able to dwell with God and God's people. And he knows that this man in front of him can make that happen. You see, and so then we read that immediately the leprosy left him. And it says, Jesus charged him to tell no one. We talked about how there's this idea in the Gospels of what's called the messianic secret. Where, where Jesus is doing these incredible works, these incredible miraculous miracles, and, and yet then he tells people to not tell anybody about it. And sure enough, people still hear about it, and then the crowds just kind of swarm him and, and go to him, and, and he's, always try, he's always having to heal people and, and deliver people from demons and such and raise the dead, and, and he can't escape the crowds. But, it, but he, tells, he tells people to tell no one because the time is not yet. You see, Jesus had a mission that was sending him to the cross where he would stand in the place of people like this man, of people like you and me, where he would stand in our place, where he would go outside the camp on our behalf, where he would be hung on a tree and experience the weight of the world's sin and shame, where he would die the most shameful death that you could die in that day and age. You see, Jesus' mission was the cross, was to bring redemption and restoration for God's people. And so he didn't want everybody screaming and shouting it from the rooftops that he was able to do these things and that that the Messiah was here because, because it wasn't time yet for him to die on the cross. And so he told people, not yet. And then he tells this man something else. He says, Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So, so, so why, is this, why, why is Jesus telling this man to go show himself to a priest? Because the priest can't do anything for him, can he? Jesus just healed him of leprosy, which is something that only God can do. Jesus just brought cleansing that no one else can bring. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. Well, what's going on here? If you go to the book of Leviticus and you read chapters 13 through 15, you'll see in there that the priests were those who were entrusted by God with this responsibility over the community of faith to determine whether or not someone was still infected with a disease. They were to determine through a very specific system whether or not someone was still impacted by leprosy or whether a miracle had been done by God and they had been healed and delivered from the disease. The priests were entrusted with this responsibility. I'm thankful that I just have to be a pastor and not a doctor of any kind because I don't even know what I would do. But these men had even more kinds of responsibilities laid out in God's law for them. They were entrusted with a great responsibility over the community. And... And if you didn't go show yourself to, to the priest, you couldn't rejoin the community. So Jesus, he, he's not just concerned with, with delivering this man from his disease. He wants this man to be restored in relationship with others. 
He wants them to be able to rejoin society, the community of faith. And he knows that to do that, the law says he has to go show himself to the priest so the priest can see evidence that the healing has actually taken place. And so Jesus says, go, go show yourself to the priest just like Moses commanded for a proof to them. So then you can rejoin the community. And so I want you to notice just a, a few things before we end our time together today. I want you to notice two things about the leper in verse 12. The leper falls on his face and begs Jesus, and look at what he says. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So first we see that the leper entrusts his faith to Jesus' will. We see that the leper knows that this man is responsible and sovereign over his life, and, and, and he, it's, it's up to him. He entrusts his fate to Jesus. And next we see that the leper believes that Jesus is actually powerful enough to change him and change his life. And so, and so here's my question. Do you do these two things? Do you believe these two things? Do you entrust your life to Jesus alone, knowing that he is ultimately responsible for everything and sovereign over everything? And, and, and then secondly, do you, do you know that he's able, that he has the power to change you and to change your life? Do you do these two things? Do you come humbly before God like this this unclean man, this leper, and say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, if you will, you can change everything about me from the inside out. Lord, if you will, you can deliver me. Lord, if you will, you can set me free from temptation. You can set me free from the weight of shame that I've been carrying my whole life. Lord, if you will, you can, you can forgive my sin, no matter how horrendous it's been. Because here's the other thing about the healing of a leper, is, is it was commonly believed that implicit in the fact that a leper was healed was that they had been forgiven by God. That whatever they'd done in life, that God had forgiven them. We're going to see this idea of forgiveness of sins even, even more profoundly next week. But this man, he comes and he trusts his life to Jesus and, and he believes that Jesus is actually powerful enough to do something about it. But maybe you're too ashamed. Maybe you're too ashamed of what you've done. Maybe you're too ashamed of what's been done to you. Maybe you're too ashamed of something about you that's in you. So maybe you don't do this. Maybe you aren't entrusting your life to Jesus and believing that he's powerful enough to change your life. I'll never forget sitting with an older gentleman you know, towards the end of his uh, middle age season in life and, and him weeping and telling me about all the things that he'd experienced in life. This man had, had been through things that I can't share with you in this setting, 
because it was too graphic, too horrific. As a child, he experienced things that most of us wouldn't understand or, or, or ever want to know had happened to someone. And then later in life, he, he kind of felt the weight of that shame of what had been done to him, and, and he started to, to make some decisions in life that were really destructive. He got into alcohol and drugs, and, and he was breaking the law, and he destroyed his life. Totally destroyed it. Of course, he'd, he'd gone from foster home to foster home and, and, and just experienced more and more abuse and neglect and, and, and never really had this experience of being wanted until later in his teenage years. And only then for a brief time before he was sent out into the world to figure out life on his own. And so when he did, he, he totally wrecked his life. He left children, abandoned them like he'd been abandoned. He ruined countless marriages and relationships, lost, I don't even know how many jobs, was sentenced multiple times for crimes he'd committed. And then, as we were talking that day, his own kids were making some of the same decisions in their lives. And, and, and he firmly believed that he had this curse upon his life, that there was no hope for him, that he was unclean, that he was damaged, that he was destructive, that he was worthless, that he was alone, that he was rejected, that there was nothing that anyone could do about it. But this was his fate, and this was the fate of his children, because they had the same curse. They were unclean, too, because of him. They'd been contaminated and affected by his sin and his father's sins. And he wept. I wept with him. I prayed for him. You see, because he, he didn't believe these things. He, he knew about Jesus. He even, even would call himself a Christian, and I, and I really think he was, and I, I think he was trying to walk with Jesus, but, but he just had this, this plaguing weight of shame that he carried with him his whole life. And he struggled to believe that Jesus could actually do something about it, that Jesus could lift the weight of that shame, that Jesus could take the unclean and make them clean. And he... He believed he was essentially a leper that would have to go throughout his life saying, unclean, unclean. You see, but look at what Jesus does. You see, this was an impossible situation. This was not supposed to be possible. This was not supposed to be able to happen. You see, when, when lepers came in, in your vicinity, you were supposed to get away because you couldn't touch them because if you touched them, then you would be unclean too. They would contaminate you. Look what happens. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. You see, there's three things that Jesus does here. 
Jesus touches the untouchable. Jesus speaks to the unclean. And not only does he touch the untouchable and speak to the unclean, he takes the unclean. And instead of becoming unclean, he makes them clean. You see, Jesus is wholly other and different than us. He is like us. He took on flesh to dwell in our place and and stand in our place outside the camp. But he's also wholly different than us in that he is God, very God. He is God himself come to save, restore, and redeem. And so when Jesus touches the unclean, he doesn't become unclean. They become clean. And so, friends, here's the hope, is that you and I might not be struggling with leprosy right now, but whatever weight of shame you are carrying this morning, whatever thing in your life you think makes you unclean, worthless, rejected, alone, abandoned, Jesus isn't afraid of it. Jesus isn't afraid to touch the untouchable because Jesus takes the unclean and he makes them clean. And so here's my encouragement to you this morning. Whatever it is you've done in life, whatever it is that has been done to you, whatever it is in you that you think no one would want this, Jesus does. There's a story that I've heard another pastor tell about one of those like purity conferences for young people, you know what I'm talking about? A um, bunch of like college age and high school age kids in a, in a, in a, in a facility and they're hearing talks about purity and, and such and, and this, this pastor gets up and, and he, he passes around the room this flower at the start of his message. He tells everybody to look at it, handle it, see what it's like. And then he, he passes it through the room. And at the end of the message, it's, it's come back up to him. And of course, there's no petals left, and the stem is broken and, and damaged. And he looks at the room and he says, who would want this? Implying that you should really get your life together. Because nobody wants that. And this pastor I heard telling this story about this event. He said it was all he could do to not stand up and shout, Jesus wants it. Jesus wants the broken, the damaged, the unclean. Jesus wants you and me. Friends, it doesn't matter what brokenness you're bringing into this room this morning. Jesus isn't afraid to touch the untouchable. And it doesn't matter how how serious it is and how much you think it's unchangeable and there's nothing that anyone could do about it. There's nothing that you could do about it. Because Jesus can bring change where change is not thought to be possible. Friends, this morning, here's what we need to know. For the unclean like you and me, Jesus makes us clean. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you now. 
knowing that we have been impacted by sin, we have sinned against you, we have sinned against others, we have experienced brokenness and death and disease. We know that we are the unclean. And yet you came for the unclean. You came for the sinners. You came for the untouchables. And so God, we come before you humbly now and we say with this man from thousands of years ago, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So God, I pray that you would do that right now, maybe for the first time for somebody in this room, that they would entrust their life to you, that they would come to believe that you are powerful and mighty and able to change them at a heart level and to bring change to their life as they walk with you. So help us to do that. In your glorious, mighty, and beautiful name, amen.